0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to IASA's additional coverage podcast episode number 16. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage, I'm pleased to welcome Andrew Siffert. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Andy is a senior vice president and senior meteorologist with BMS Re-U.S. Catastrophe Analytics and is the Peril Advisory Team Lead. He has 20 years of industry experience, having worked in the energy and insurance industry, focusing his meteorological knowledge on helping companies manage their weather risks. And today, we're going to review the 2022 Catastrophe Bingo Card. But first, I would like to recognize the support that we receive from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. Now, when we were discussing scheduling this podcast, you mentioned the 2022 Natural Catastrophe Bingo Card. I know there have been at least 15 or more weather or climate disaster events. Some were pretty bizarre with losses that exceeded a billion dollars each that affected just the United States. And that's not even counting what else has happened around the world. We're recording this just a few days before Thanksgiving. And just this week, there was the big earthquake in Indonesia. So what are some of the top events of 2022 that might have been filled out on the card this year and the impact, therefore, on the insurance industry?
1: Yeah, Tim, thanks again for having me. And I I just want to also, thank BMS uh, Ree for for really allowing me to share my knowledge with you. I, I, as you mentioned, I'm a meteorologist, and and I always like to say every property insurance company is a weather company. One of the biggest spends is on claims or reinsurance, for that matter. And it's my job as a meteorologist in the insurance industry to really educate people within our industry, and thank you for giving me that platform around these natural catastrophes, trends, and what causes some of these. So when I look at the 2022 bingo card, I always kind of like to play around with this this concept of the bingo card, because who knows what can really happen in any given year, but there's these kind of events that you're like, oh, sooner sooner later, this has to happen, right? Like this year, it was maybe like the Florida hurricane, or who knows, like a major volcanic eruption, like we had in Toga this past spring. So there's always these oddball events that could really throw a, a curveball to the insurance industry. And it's kind of fun to play, have kind of have your bingo card out and and play along as Mother Nature delivers, you know, some either expected or unexpected events. And I mean, clearly every year, like I said, there's gonna be a an event that stands out or a couple of events that stand out. And I, I think when you look at the insurance industry, it, it, it is worldwide, right? But we're very U.S. centric. I mean, when we look at the overall insured value on an average annual basis, most of it, most of that insured loss comes from the U.S., even though Europe and Asia are growing in terms of market share, um, South America. These events around the world do impact our industry, right? And it's usually the accumulation of multiple events of big events that really have the biggest impact so when we look at our bingo card we look at like what are some of the big events that could occur did we have a california earthquake this year knock on wood not yet right but that's bound to happen sooner or later we say it every day it's on the bingo card every year but thankfully we haven't had that big california earthquake or pacific northwest earthquake but as you mentioned yes we've had several big earthquakes recently at least in for north america in alaska right and that's that's probably one of the biggest earthquakes we've had so far this year. Uh, we've also had some earthquakes even here locally that are kind of human-caused through our, our fracking, for fracking and induced earthquakes in, in other parts of the U.S. that kind of raise an eyebrow here or there. When we when we talk about insured losses, though, on the bingo card, really what stands out for me in 2022 is, is in in probably like any year the the Atlantic hurricane season and and really the name storm season worldwide and when we look at the name storm world forecast going into this season they were pretty bullish right if you remember right they were all saying very active Atlantic hurricane season with you know I think on average when I look at all the average forecasts, they said about 17.5 named storms were going to form in the Atlantic basin and there is a lot of eyebrows, but, you know, here we are sitting basically uh, eight days away from the official end of the November 22nd, which is the end of the end of the hurricane season is officially on November 30th, you know, so we're eight days away from that. When we looked at that, you know, it, it hasn't panned out. We only had 14 named storms, really four of those were very short-lived storms. So that's That's maybe a positive aspect of, of some of the things, too, that you can kind of highlight on a bingo card of, of what didn't occur for this Atlantic hurricane season. But now when you think about it, it's, is it one of these years where, okay, it was pretty much a normal year when on average we'd expect about 14 named storms to form in any given season? But this year is quite impactful, right? We've had, particularly if you're in the Florida Peninsula and for the for the insurance industry, and, and frankly, a lot of eyes have been on Florida and the insurance industry. So when you have a very impactful storm like we had with Ian and then more recently, Nicole, that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows. And in fact, probably what stands out is Florida, for the most part, besides the panhandle, the peninsula part has been, Pretty lucky for that matter. I mean, we'd heard had Hurricane Irma in 2017, but this is this is the first decent sized landfall in a populated area. Really, again, on the peninsula part, going all the way back to the 2004 and 2005 hurricane season. So that that's something that that kind of really stands out as something very unique this year, and obviously, it's it's feeling its impact on the insurance industry. The other the other peril that we probably need to highlight that probably gets you know that gets a decent amount of attention in the spring, but is really a year-round peril is the severe
0: convective storm peril. So hail, duratios, tornadoes. Right. I know I didn't have tornadoes in north central Texas in November on my bingo card. You know, that
1: that's always an attention getter for the insurance industry. In fact, it actually drives quite a bit of loss. I mean, when you look at a pie of basically all the potential weather-related losses, it accounts for almost 40% of the insured loss that can occur across the U.S. in any given year. So when we look at severe storm, this year, what stands out to me on that kind of retrospect of what's kind of occurred, hail tends to be that drive about 50 to 80% of that total insured loss of SCS events and we haven't had a lot of hail events this year we're actually very below normal in terms of the hail events but wind wind and, and to some some degrees tornado uh, tornadoes have actually been more about average but when you when you consider hails driving 50 to 80 percent of that overall loss the losses ultimately are a little bit lower from severe weather this year because we haven't had as many hail events across the country as a whole now of course, that also all depends on where these events hit, right? You know, hail, tornadoes are very localized and only takes one big event into a, a major metropolitan area like Dallas or Denver or Minneapolis or, or even these coast cities for that to happen. The other peril that has gotten a lot of attention is uh, wildfire. You know, and there's been a lot of attention on California wildfire in particular. Now, this year... It was a pretty substantial drought again in California. And what I would say is this was probably a silver lining this year that we had a pretty severe drought in California throughout the summertime period and into the fall. Thankfully, they're getting rain and some precipitation the last couple of weeks that have kind of put a, a damp around the overall fire late fire season that we've had in recent years. But the fire season has been, you know, somewhat tame compared to the last couple of years, which again is a Pretty good news to the insurance industry. So, on the bingo card, we have yet to kind of have that big industry event to, for wildfire that we've been kind of accustomed to. Now, with that being said, we got to remember back; it's not always about California. just Just last year, right at I, I think right after Christmas, we had uh, the the Front Range wildfire. So, these wildfires can pop up or you know basically start in any given day, given the fuel and fuel moisture and fine fuels so we just kind of got to kind of hold our breath here for the next month or so and and hope we don't have any big industry losses for wildfire but uh that's kind of my you know you know and of course the bingo card has other things geomagnetic storms and flooding events which we kind of have plenty particularly in australia this year but there's always uh a brain a barrage of different things that can happen in any given year and i think overall this year was there's some surprises in there but also some really good news on on some of the natural catastrophe front that it might not have gotten filled out
0: on that bingo card the wildfires well we did have some at least they weren't like they were a year or two ago when we had them in california and oregon and washington state right and they were really bad and when you think now think about that right so this is actually
1: a lot of probably not getting as much press as what it should be right so what happened right is we had some pretty substantial wildfire losses in the case of campfire a lot of people lost their lives unfortunately we've had a lot of property damage so as a result of that what has happened is society has realized all of a sudden a change in whether it's climatic conditions or a change in risk and society has quickly adapted to say hey we have to do something here we all know, and we listen to Smokey the Bear, right? Only you can prevent wildfires. Humans create a lot of wildfires. We know a lot of wildfires are created through electrical T distribution. So we saw all of a sudden implementation of rolling blackouts. Basically, when fire conditions are high, people have become much aware. We saw a huge amount of money going into wildfire firefighting resources, right? More tankers, more helicopters, more personnel. And i think so a combination of all these things it's not like they say there wasn't fires in 2022 this i think we had a different approach to managing in a different awareness and of course some of the conditions weren't maybe as severe in terms of the wind speeds and things like that that you get these out of control fires but i mean like the mosquito fire was a pretty substantial fire but it was also pretty well contained and the pr- property loss was pretty minimal so i think this also gets into the point that the risk was, the, the, as a whole, the society, we saw the risk and we're taking drastic steps, I think, to mitigate some of that loss um, or some some of the kind of the mitigate the loss and mitigate the risk, maybe hopefully for the future, right? So maybe this, the last several years, we're kind of an anomaly in terms of loss. And now we're back down to where we can try to manage these a little bit better,
0: given all the different things I just mentioned. Yeah, until the next surprise, right? <laughs> right right well what what would you say are the main factors that are happening atmospherically that are causing these extreme events to happen and and will they continue yeah
1: i mean man the atmosphere is complex and when you take uh some meteorology classes you learn that and and you wonder like well no wonder they can't get the temperature forecast right on day 10 or day seven or even tomorrow for that matter but you know, I think it actually, you know, as actually, I think that one, we're getting better at that, right? I think we're getting better at understanding some of the causes. And part of that is due to our, our knowledge of what has happened in history, right? So I think when you look at 2022, what's going to stand out as a key player is, and you probably heard heard this term before, which is ENSO, which is the El Nino Southern Southern Oscillation Index. Or, and basically... Ultimately, that's the warming and cooling of the Central Pacific Ocean. So when you take the Central right. Pacific Ocean and you warm or cool it a couple degrees, and you take that largest body of water in the world and cool it and or warm it, you know you're going to have some type of downstream effects, right? So this year we've actually had a La Niña, which is the cooling of the Central Pacific waters off the coast of South America. And when you cool that, usually that tends to lead to specific weather patterns. Now, it's interesting because typically, and this is actually a third year of La Nina type conditions. Now, when you look at this, some might say, well, under La Nina, you expect to have more hurricanes. Well, we didn't necessarily have that. We had an average, season, average number of hurricanes this year. But where we did see the hurricanes was actually closer to the U.S. coastline. Maybe up these coasts and then more, more than latitudes, right? And we might picture that, say, because again, the atmosphere is complex. So you need all these different ingredients to come in. So maybe wind shear was lower, right? Or it was lower. Sea surface temperatures were higher, but maybe you had something like African dust or too much dry air at mid levels, which hampered the convection. So you didn't have the perfect piece of puzzle to get the main storm activity. The same can be said, La Nina tends to produce more severe weather across the United States, particularly in the spring. And I think we did see that. We saw a fairly active severe weather pattern in the spring months, and we actually saw it a little bit more active in the southeastern United States than maybe we saw maybe over Texas or or even into the Mid-Atlantic. And that's, again, a pattern of La Nina. I also think the other big driver would would be the state of of the drought, right? So there's other feedback mechanisms. You can have severe weather come in a a jet stream pattern that's conducive of producing more severe weather in the upper Midwest, let's say. But if you have dry conditions abnormally already set from months prior, the last several months or years, for that matter, of lack of precipitation, then that's going to not allow surface moisture to be kind of lapsed in the atmosphere coming up from the Gulf of Mexico because we have a drier land surface, right? So you don't hit that necessary mixing of cool air from the north and moist, warm, wet air from the south to create the the ideal conditions for severe weather. So again, it's very complex. But I think this year, you're going to look back at 2022, it'll be designated a La Nina and, and some of the major patterns that we recognize, like the, the major flooding in Australia or the flooding that's gone on in Australia is quite indicative to a La Nina type pattern. Like Sydney is going to have their wettest year on record and their records go back to 1859. Wow. And I think they're at like 95 inches of rain or something, but that's very indicative like of a La Nina pattern. Whenever it's La Nina, you tend to get the East Coast of Australia wetter than normal. So, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, if I were to pick out kind of some variables that drive 2022 Big La Nina, the warmer than normal sea surface temperatures in the North Atlantic, which allowed more storms to form in the North Atlantic than maybe in the main development region. But again, like the Gulf of Mexico, sea surface temperatures were very warm this year, but yet we didn't have, we had zero storms in the Gulf of Mexico. So you need all the ingredients to come together to kind of create I, mean, I guess Penn intended the perfect storm.
0: Yeah, that really struck me odd that uh, that we would have such warm water in the Gulf and and nothing churning up in the Houston or right. New Orleans area. Yeah, which I mean, again, there's a there's a positive news,
1: right? I mean, after two years in a row of just getting bombarded by hurricanes, you know, the state
0: of Louisiana finally got a little bit of rep- a reprieve on that bingo card. Well, speaking of the bingo card, it seems like it's always filling up with some unique event that leads to more losses in the future. So can you highlight the increasing vulnerability in growing populations along with a change in extreme events and kind of give us an idea of what we might be able to do going forward to be better prepared? I mean, I know that's a mouthful. Yeah, I mean, we know Mother
1: Nature is going to always throw us curveballs is always going to produce severe weather. Weather history kind of shows us that. Now, whether these events are getting more severe or not, some of that is up for debate. I mean, clearly, we, we know that the storms are getting wetter and there's more precipitation and flooding events. And and you're right, there's more people at risk, right? I mean, who doesn't want to live by a body of water and along the ocean? I mean, I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I just...
0: Salt I, life, am I, I right?
1: <laughs> exactly, right? So I think, uh, you know, I think... the the risk is going to be there, right? But I think actually if there's a positive lining in Hurricane Ian and we're going to see this come out and I I think some of the losses from Ian are going to hopefully show this and we won't have the development like we had with Irma, but we saw that Ian made landfall very similar locations, Hurricane Charlie in 2005. So now when we think of a natural catastrophe event it's, it's, it's kind of like let's just call it like Darwinism in a way, right? You're It's going to weed out the weak and you're going to hopefully build back better, right? And society by codes and building codes is going to help us build back better. That's a main point, part of the main point of it. And when we build back better, we're going to hopefully be less vulnerable to the next time something happens, right? So in this case, it was Ian. And I think we're seeing some of that with some of the roof losses and Other structural damage in the exact same path that we had with Ian. Now, if you look at some of the areas that were harder hit, it was up towards like Sarasota and and more outside of that narrow path to Charlie. But it's going to now we're going to say, hey, a lot of homes got damaged with Ian. They'll get new roofs, they'll they'll build back better. And it's really about that mitigation and building resiliency in the system and be able to be prepared because we can be, we can actually. Prepare faster than what anything climate change give draws at us, right? The climate change is going to happen over a longer period of time. But man, as I just talked about with California wildfire, in a couple of years' time, man, we can make some big drastic steps to mitigate a loss, potentially, right? The the risk is still gonna be there, but we can we can put a lid on it pretty quick, given the right mitigation steps, right investments. In fact, the IDHS has done some lot of really good research. It's I think for every dollar spent on mitigation, you can save up to eight dollars on future losses. Right. So, and that's 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 something that everybody needs to understand is it's better to be prepared and build in future resiliencies into an overall system or our society, so we can bounce back faster. Right. And and enjoy that beach life now
0: and in Naples or Fort Myers. Well, and I think you've got a point there, building back better will then afford insurance companies the ability to continue insuring, whereas <laughs> in some locations, they just can't do that because they're exposing themselves to huge losses, even even in a reinsurance situation. Well, hey, what a fun opportunity for, for me to speak with you. And thank you so much for sharing your insight with us. That's about all the time we have for today's podcast. But hey, Andy, if our listeners would like to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Email would be uh, great at
1: andrew.sefert at bmsgroup.com. Otherwise, I do tweet. I am on LinkedIn. So my Twitter handle is Andrew uh, Seifert or at Andrew Seifert. And then I think on LinkedIn, it's the same thing. So Andrew Seifert, S-I-F-F-E-R-T. Um, And those would be all the great ways people can reach out to me and ask questions or uh, just follow along for the ride as we we look for
0: the 2023 bingo card coming out soon. Great. Thanks for that. And if you should have comments about the show or any show suggestions, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Well, join me for our next episode. You won't want to miss it. I'll be having a conversation with Carly Canwisher from Johnson Lambert about updates to the New York Department of Financial Services cybersecurity rule. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode. Be sure you let your colleagues know, your friends know about the show. We'd like to have the entire insurance industry following along with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.